You're listening to Extra Takes, hosted by Northland Church lead pastor, Dr. Joshua Laxton. Tune in each week as Pastor Josh reveals the rest of the story behind his sermons. We'll discuss how those who follow Christ can live out a biblical vision for the church in the world today. Well, hello, Northland family and friends. Welcome to another episode of Extra Takes. I am PJ, your co-host, along with my sidekick, other co-host, Matt Childs. Matt, hey, great to see you this Monday. Yeah, great to see you. Yeah, what'd you do this past weekend? Did you do anything fun? Yeah, we went to New Smyrna Beach. Did you? Yes. Are we on vacation last week? I was supposed to be. You were supposed to be. Yeah, so car troubles, we got pushed it back to July, so instead we ended up going over for two days and that, okay yes yeah it was a it was a great time we actually went to the uh the Ponce Inlet Lighthouse okay it's the tallest lighthouse in Florida nice 203 steps 203 me and my girls went to the top my five-year-old and three-year-old they they Haley didn't go to the top no not quite hmm so you had your hands full huh I did I am so proud of them though I don't think <laughs> they knew to be scared they just That's good. Oh, they just yeah. walked up, and uh, and it was, I think there's a lesson in that. Yeah, you know the fact that your kids weren't scared. I mean, because again, I mean, why would they be scared? They were with their father. Yes, so I know. Yeah, that, that'll preach. That will preach. <laughs> that that will preach. Well, great. I'm glad you had a great weekend. I'm still all alone at the Laxton house. Still, so Joni okay. and Luke and Ellie, they're still at camp. They come back. Uh, well, now I guess July third, however many days. So you know, maybe by next week sure, they, yeah. they will be back. So I cannot wait. the The house is too too quiet, and I'm ready for them to be back home. So you've had a list. Have you been checking things off that list? Well, I'm waiting. Yes, I'm waiting for a couple of things to 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 kind of be finished for me to actually finish that list. Okay. So hopefully it will be done by next week and nice. my wife will be very, very happy. Nice. Because a happy wife uh, is a happy life. Do you ascribe to that? So, I, well, I, <laughs> I think any married man who wants to answer, you, you know, honestly would say, yes, a happy wife is a happy life. Yeah. So... Yeah. So, you know, after almost 20 years of marriage, I think I would have, yeah. I would, some I would, good yeah. advice. Okay. Absolutely. So this weekend uh, was a fun one. I th- You were pretty excited because we got to wrap up Hamilton. You you had a lot of fun for this month, didn't you? I did have a lot of fun. I mean, it was, uh, you know, when I look back, I'm like, oh, gosh, um, these messages have been longer than most mm. messages that, that uh, you know, that I deliver and and I, I, that wasn't by design, but I think when you set up things and you bring in a, like research, like even yeah. this week, yeah, like I'm like, wow, you know, it was just Ten Commandments, and I didn't, you know, and I felt like they moved fairly quickly, yeah. But I'm like, well, what took so long? And I think, you know, setting up a lot of the backstory so that you could kind of really understand what the duel was all about, and maybe even what was going on in the mind of Hamilton both before the duel. And after he got shot, yeah, that, you know that adds a lot to it. And so, but I did. I had fun. I think people. I think for the most part, people got the the idea. Mm-hmm. I know that we were in a new to Northland class, mm-hmm. and one of the ladies that was there, she's like, 
when she first, because that was her first time there, she's like Hamilton. Isn't that like from, you know from the like the culture or something? And yeah, so to and so it just shows you that I probably need to always, in some sense, have like an explanation. So maybe like put it in a video, sure, so that right before I get up, like so I'm not having to give the disclaimer every time I get up. So maybe that's something that I'll learn for next year so that even a, a guest for the very first time, even if it's the last message in the series, it can kind of at least communicate that this isn't normal. It's like not our normal format, but that we're really trying to help Christians engage culture better by taking something that the culture knows and be, and being able to use it as a diving board and platform to communicate the gospel, uh, communicate truth. And so... Yeah, that's fascinating. It's it's a good problem to have to have to consider how do we always uh, set that vision yeah. continually yeah. because we know every single week there'll be new people there. Yeah. That's a great problem to have. It's amazing that people new people will be there but yeah. uh, they might pop in at the, yeah, the, it, it, the it, very fourth yeah, week. It, yeah. I mean, it, we probably hadn't had gosh, I didn't I didn't ask, but between Saturday or 9 a.m. and 11 a.m., we definitely had over probably 30 mm. uh, just people that just came to the New to Northland. Yeah. You, you know, so that's awesome. And because we have New to Northland once a month. Yeah. So that's 30 people within the last time we, we you know, we had New to Northland. So it was awesome. That's cool. Yeah, so this week we wrapped up Hamilton through the eyes of the gospel. Uh, this was called The World Was Wide Enough, and this is about Hamilton and Burr's duel. This is the June 24th and 25th, and we were in a couple scriptures, uh, Exodus 20, Matthew 7, and Deuteronomy hmm. 30. Um, so the main principle, when you go down the wide road that most go down, it narrows your world that leads to loss. When you go down the narrow road that few go down, it widens your world that leads to life. And this is a, a take on Matthew 7, Right When Matthew 7, 13 through 14, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Mm. So he really led us through these 10 commandments that lead to life. Really, if, if Hamilton and Burr would have done these, um, they would have lived and, and not died. So... Um, we're not going to go through all 10, but we will uh, hit several of them, at least four or five of them, and we'll see how many others we can get to. So that first question is, before we really dig into um, the 10, you you gave a good um, kind of introduction and summary around some of the events that, that happened with the duel and and you you shared with us how two ministers came and um, and were with um, yeah. Hamilton, you know, after he was shot, before he died. There was 31 hours, bef- mm. uh, you know, while that happened. So yeah. um, we have Hamilton's last words. It's always interesting and fascinating to see someone's last words. Right. Yeah. Right? And he said, "God be merciful to me, a sinner." Right. So question for you, why didn't that make it into the musical? Well, I mean, it's, a, it, <laughs> it's uh, 
more secular musical. I thought I might stump you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even though I mean, he, in, well, in, in Uptown, though. I mean, in the song Uptown, he talks about Hamilton taking his family to church, and so yeah. And even in the uh, even in the book, you have Ron Chir- Cherno, and I said I think I said this at the eleven o'clock maybe. But that he even sees at least some kind of defining moment that that happened where it kind of awakened some kind of, you know, religious focus in Hamilton's life, something that wasn't there prior. Mm. But I actually came across this this article, and it was actually on Desiring God, which is a a John Piper kind of blog. Mm -hmm. And it had a an, an hour long lecture from a guy uh, who is a professor at Bethlehem College and Seminary, and that lecture was titled "Hamilton: An American Prodigal." Mm. And he even talks about how early in Hamilton's life, when he was still you know on the Caribbean island where where he grew up, how he was influenced by a pastor that minister or missionary pastor that ministered there on the island, and that. You know, it showed some at least kind of awareness hmm. that Hamilton had of God and that it somehow goes dormant as he pursues yeah. wealth and politics and power and prestige and position. Hmm. And then it was after Philip's death that there's this kind of, you know, uh, either reawakening, awakening, something that did happen. Now, and as as the you know, as the professor talks about, in which I, you know, again, like I was trying to point out something happened. Yeah. Now, only God knows Hamilton's heart, so we have him with his words, hmm. right? Now, the the place where we would, you know, where sometimes it's a little more difficult is the actual fruit of his life. Yeah. So, so we have the fruit of his lips. Hmm. But but I think what makes it hard a lot of times is that we didn't have the fruit of his life his life, yeah. and so will Hamilton? What will he be in heaven? If if we're just going on his final words, um, then yes. Um, if you're looking at the fruit of his life, there's the question mark, and so I think that hopefully and and again I didn't. And that wasn't the focus of this past weekend, yeah. but you know, as a, and that's why he's fascinating to me. I'm, and you know, this yeah. Yeah. this whole series for me because I've done more more reading and yeah. listening to you know podcasts and YouTube videos of professors and yeah. you know History Channel and all that to learn more about Hamilton. I, I've learned more about Hamilton than I did in high school and college, and so. But he's a fascinating individual, and I'm actually a fan of his, you, you know. And there's a part of me where, like, like I am saddened, and that's why I like that article I read, um, where he says that Hamilton is an American prodigal, and he actually used the prodigal son mm. and that whole story through the the four seasons of Hamilton's life, mm. because they they actually talk about, uh, or he uses. Uh, another set of authors and how they would actually frame out Hamilton's life. And so they talk about his early piety Mm -hmm. from 1772 to 1777. And then there is a 15-year period of complete religious indifference Mm -hmm. from 1777 to 1792. Mm -hmm. Then his opportunistic religiosity from 1792 to 1800. 
And it was in there, and this was when he had kind of lost some of his political capital. He actually wanted to, he actually had this vision and this policy to make America a more Christian nation, mm. which is fascinating. Huh. And then in his final season from 1800 until his death in 1804, when he began sincerely seeking God in his time of failure and suffering. Mm. So they break it down into four. And so what this, what, what this, Professor does is he takes those four stages that someone else had crafted when they look at Hamilton's life, and he used the prodigal son, mm. his story, to talk about Hamilton. Mm. That here, here's his early life. There's something there, indifference. He goes out and basically squanders it, you know, through his pursuit of American politics, power, wealth, and all of that. That then, you know, something, you know, again, he's losing capital, he's losing, you know, power and influence. And so he tries to do something. Now, whether or not his heart was in the right place, we don't know. Uh, but then, you know, 1800, 1800 is when his son is tragically killed in the duel. And that's when he talks about failure and suffering, mm-hmm. which is why, like I did say in all, you know, three gatherings, that when you look at Hamilton's letter that he writes to Eliza, it almost reads as a suicide note. Yeah. And, yeah. and and again, no no one's ever you know no one touts that kind of as a. But I'm looking at it and going, man, he is in immense grief still mm-hmm. from the loss of his son. He has kind of failed in his political career because again, after his affair. He never really bounces, you know, back. Now, he, people—he's he, still an endearing figure, mm. but now he won't be able to rise up to to what he really could have been capable of because, of, you know. And so he's dealing with some some failure in his life. He's dealing with the failure and the suffering of. He feels like he, he feels like he probably failed his son mm. in giving him that counsel, yeah. and and so. So that's where I'm like, man, you, you know, it again when you read it, I mean, it's it's a very gut-wrenching letter to to read. Like I wish I could have said no, basically. But I just couldn't. But I know it, you, you know, it's like but you could have. You could have. Yeah. But you didn't. Yeah. So yeah, it's um it's fascinating in it, you know, the amount of research that you've done. I obviously you have uh you have grown to love and appreciate Hamilton for what he has done, but also, um, yeah, you just you see that tension when you're trying to um, yeah, and then Burr, his oh my gosh, Burr, Lord have mercy, like he was a hellion, mm. he was a heathen, mm. but yet comes from this godly lineage. I had no idea, and so again, like so. being tried for treason and. There, you know, and there was uh, because we don't have really any of his particular writings that survived. Mm. So a lot of this is kind of through secondhand and other people's dealings with him. Yeah. But there, there, there's this one idea that he actually wanted to either go to war against the U.S. or take the Western expansion and turn that into his empire, where he would become king. Wow. I mean, this guy, like, what? <laughs> It's like, and then he has to, you know, then he flees to Britain, spends years there. Mm. Um, then he comes back. Mm. And when he comes back, he goes to New York, but he takes 
He takes the last name Edwards, his mom's name, so his, so his granddad, Jonathan Edwards, takes his name so that he can kind of live a little bit more in obscurity oh. uh, because it, it, his name was so tainted. Yeah. Then he marries this, this younger uh, widow who's extremely wealthy. Mm. And after he marries her, within the first four months of their marriage, he begins to basically embezzle her her and you know her wealth oh and uses it for his for his own. And she finds out, and then she enters into a divorce. And guess the guess who's who's the lawyer that does the draws up the lawyer's paper. Hamilton Alexander Hamilton Jr. Come on, and uh, and so the day that Burr is served the papers, he dies. Does he he served the divorce papers? He he dies. Really? Yeah. So I mean, he's again. It's just kind of like, and that's why when you look at you know this main principle, when you go down the wide world or the the wide road that most go down, it narrows your world that leads to loss. Yeah. I mean, you again. You can look at it in any facet of someone's life that they, if they choose the road that most go down. Like, think mm. about anger. How easy is it to be angry? Mm. And when you look at Proverbs, like he who cannot control his, own, you know, his own anger is destructive. Mm. And, and so, if you can't even control your anger, and again, that's so, so a road that's wide that most go down. It leads to some kind of loss. Mm. So when you pursue these these other gods, and again that that again you have this you you have this primary love and adoration for it could be money, it could be wealth, it could be success, it could be position, power, whatever. Again, we see that with Burr, you're 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 bound to lose. Hmm. Like so, when he's trying to be wealthy and he's trying to <laughs> rob from his wife, you're gonna lose your wife. Yeah. So anyway, it, it's just a really good. Principle, yeah, yeah. And it's a fascinating case yeah. study to to see with with both of their lives. Um, so let's dig into some of these commandments. This first one, um, you said, become unoffendable by avoiding gods that need defending. I know you like this one. Um, hey, so, yeah. so I really want to know. I want you to help me with this because how can we balance this? Are, are we really to overlook when our beliefs, our belief system, or theology is being attacked? In some cases, yes. In some cases, no. I think that's part of where you have to – being unoffendable is also being discernible. Mm. Mm. And like so, for instance, like when I, when I scroll through some social media and people clearly have a different set of beliefs and values that I hold, yeah, I, you know, I, and it does, it does upset me. But is that you know is that the platform that I, I I need to you know gently correct? No, probably not. I ain't, you, you know mm-hmm. it's not going to help. Um, like I was listening to in preparation for the series coming up, one of the things that I actually started listening to are arguments that would claim that the Bible is fiction. And so I'm like, ah, oh, you know, but but you know, instead of me being offended by it, I'm saddened by it, hmm. because again, offend, you know, being offended means that there's something that rises up in you that makes you angry or hostile. 
you know, or offensive. That's why I said offended people typically are or generally are offense, you know, offensive people. They go on the offense. Yeah. Angry people tend and generally tend to be aggressive people. Why? Because they 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 feel, they feel like it goes back to the idea of being in a crisis mode. When a crisis happens, when something is threatened, you either freeze, you either fly, you know, flee or you know, flight, or you fight. Mm-hmm. And so when you're offended, when something is being threatened, you're going to have one of those responses. And in our culture, because of how sensitive we are, we, we tend, if, if our feelings got hurt or if you attack my beliefs or whatnot, we, we bow up. Yeah. That's, that's the response. And so, so as Christians, I think, and again, going back to that whole idea is that you need to understand why you got, you know, you got upset in the first place when you were, when that person offended you, yeah. you know, because wh- whatever they said or whatever they did that offended you, it actually reveals what, what, a, a, what a, what a love is of your life. So if they offended your name, again, like Burr Hamilton, yeah. and you want to defend your name, well, then your name you know, uh, is is a primary kind of love that you feel like you got to defend it, mm. right? And so that that that's where you have to be very discernible. Is okay. How do I respond? Mm. Because that's where Proverbs would say, you, you know, a wise person would actually overlook an offense, and an offended person and actually and you look at proverbs 18:19 offended people are harder to win over than a city that is fortified mm-hmm. so a fortified city is a very protective secure city you can penetrate and so if you look at an offended person that person's harder harder to win over than a city that is fortified mm-hmm. meaning that they become unreasonable so Offended people become unreasonable. And that's why as believers, we, we need to be reasonable. We, we need to be you, you know, free from being imprisoned by what someone else says. Because mm-hmm. uh, you know, really commandment two and commandment three, go, they, they go hand in hand. They're, they're, they're kind of two sides of the same coin. Because the only way that we become unoffendable is if we embed our identity in a God who is a defender yeah. of both himself and us. And uh, so that's where I would just say it's discernible of how you would respond. And there's a book, and I, you know, and and the book goes into detail about other things about uh, about being offended. But the book is called Unoffendable. And now. Um, it's a book by Brant Hansen, and he just kind of goes into this idea how we can adjust our expectations uh, to fit our own nature. Like, so again, usually being offended means something was attacked, and but but maybe what we need to do is adjust our expectations. Uh, we can replace perpetual anger with refreshing humility and gratitude. Mm. You, you know, so so those so those things that he kind of really talks about to give you more practical steps. Mm-hmm. You know, to become an unoffendable person in a highly offendable culture. Mm-hmm. But I really do believe, and I stand by it, that Christians should be the least offended people because when we are tempted to be offended, we have a, a God, the Holy Spirit, that can keep our spirit in check 
from being aggressive mm. and offended mm. that would become offensive. Mm. So, yeah. I don't know. Is that, I mean, does that answer your question some? Yeah. It, yeah. It does. It's, uh, yeah, it's very helpful. And, um, you know, I think, I think what you're saying is, is we need to be conscious of how we're responding. Yeah. And, and I would say this too, and, and let me be very clear, which is why I put it later on in the commandments. But, but being unoffended is different than extending forgiveness. Okay. Okay. So forgiveness needs to happen when someone has really wronged me mm. and sinned against me. Mm. But and that's why I did list out when we we are offended when someone hurts our feelings. Yeah. All right, so so th- that's that's a little different than someone wronging us mm. and us being a human being made in the image of God. Mm. Like, you know, so I might say, you need to lose weight, Matt. Mm-hmm. You, you probably don't need to lose weight, but you need to lose weight. Yeah. You could take that very offensively. Yeah. Now, I mean, because that hurt my feelings or it hurt my image. Now, that that some people would really be offended by it and they would need to extend. But, but that, again, that's a hurt my feelings or hurt my image. Pride. You know, if, if uh, you know, your wife said something. That really is corrective, and re, you know that that is a, a, a rebuke. Mm-hmm. You could be offended at that because it actually hurts you, your pride as a man. Yeah, but but no, you, you you need to let that you know let the spirit of God give you that that wisdom and discernment to not be offended by those things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know uh, beliefs. You know, and, and this is a really good thing for Christians highly engaged in the political realm. You don't have to be offended because someone else holds another political viewpoint. Mm. Because if yours is so great, I mean, listen, you you don't have to defend yourself. Mm. Um, and and so, and that's also where I would say even about theological beliefs. I mean, we're we're in a month right now where people are celebrating a whole different way of living. Yeah. We don't have to be. We don't have to be offended by that, even though many many Christians are because it's so blaring in your face. We have a God that all that can defend Himself and His truth, and in the end, we can let Him ultimately be the God who sorts everything out. So we don't have to be offended by those things. So that's where I just want to make sure that there is a distinction made that we understand between being offended and the need to extend forgiveness. Yeah. Um, so, and again, that that requires discernment. Mm-hmm. But but I, I wanted to I wanted them to actually be two different commands. Sure. Yeah. Well, and then this this second one, as you said, um, then leads to the third one, which is embed your identity in your God that is secure. Um, you said, when you live by what the world says about you, you will die by what the world says about you. And when you said that, I really thought, man, this has this has tremendous implications for middle schoolers, high schoolers, college students. But <laughs> I think if we're honest, and this goes back to the last point, if we're honest, I think this is more relevant to all of us than we than we really realize. So what are your thoughts on that? Well, I... I know that in my own personal life, when I get, you know, everybody loves getting good 
feedback and emails and all of that. Oh, yeah. That's why I'm very quick to say, to God be the glory. Yeah. Because I, I really don't want that to feed anything. Like, I, yeah, again, I'm super grateful for encouragement. Everybody needs encouragement. So when you see somebody do something good, give them a, a supportive, encouraging word. But if you receive encouraging and supporting words, ju- just make sure that they don't inflate, mm. but that but that you are are able to keep yourself in check. Because if you live by those things, if you live by the good, then you probably will be tempted to live by the bad too. Yeah, which is why you have to anchor yourself in a constant. Hmm. So that's why when you look at the Lord, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That he is unchanging. He is the unchanging God who is extremely secure in who he is and what he's doing in the world. And he is extremely secure in who he declares you to be. And the only reason why he's extremely secure in who he declares you to be, me to be, his children to be, is because of what Jesus did. Mm. So so our identity now is anchored in Jesus and what he did on the cross, is that he paid the price for us to be reconciled so that regardless of what we do, Regardless of any kind of poor behavior, Mm. poor decisions we'll ever make, our identity is not in what we do Mm. or even who we are as a human being. Our identity is embedded in Jesus and who he is and what he did. Mm. And so it's unchanging. Mm. And that's why it's so important because people are fickle. We, We see that with... The people at Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem singing Hosanna, pray, Lord, save thee. Like, you're the king. You're the, you're the son of man. Come. Like, and they treat him like a king. And then many of them, just a few days later, crucify him. <laughs> you know, so people can love what you do one day and throw, you know, throw grenades at you another. And so that's why it's so important mm. if you're if you're going to go down the narrow road that actually leads to a a, a wide uh, lens and and life, then you need to go by what what God says of you. But it, but if you're going to go down the 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 wide road that narrows your your lens that leads to loss, just go ahead and live by what other people say about you. Mm. And again, that, that is a great word, as you said, to our next gen, so our Gen Z, our younger, I mean, anybody, but younger millennials, is like, listen, do not live to please man. Because if you're living to please other human beings, then that means when they share their displeasure with you, it will crush you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if you're looking at their praise to elevate you, mm. just know their curses will crush you. Mm. Mm. And that's actually what we see with Burr and Hamilton. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's not something we ever get over. <laughs> you well, know, Burr and Hamilton was what Burr was uh, 40, 49. 
right? Not quite 50 or maybe not quite. Oh, Hamilton. Hamilton, he has 49. Yeah. Well, and again, yeah. Yeah. He was still caught up in that. Um, So this next one, don't play God. God is much better at his role than you are. When we try to play God, we end up not playing by God's rules. Oof. Yeah, the... Well, just think, anchored in our sin, and I mean by like humanity's sin, is the act of playing God. Yeah. So part of our fallen DNA as human beings is to play God. And you know, one of the one of the people that really tried to play God that that is just like glaring in scripture is Pharaoh because he thought he was God, mm-hmm. thought he was a human God. Like mm-hmm. like anytime you try to play God, like I mean, you're you're bound to lose. Um David. Mm-hmm. King David, who is a man after God's own heart, there were a couple instances in his life where he tried to play God his own. Like when he took a census. Mm-hmm. And and when you're reading it, you're like, "What's so bad about taking a census?" Yeah, you know, because that's like just see how how many people are under my authority. Yeah, well, that was actually him trying to play God, because God didn't want him to take a census from the perspective of I want to see how big my kingdom is. Yeah, hmm. you, you know, because in other places like Numbers, God did take a census. Mm-hmm. But he didn't tell David to take a census. David took it upon himself. I just want to see how big my kingdom is. Mm-hmm. It didn't end well. It didn't end well for him. Mm. And so th- there's definitely things throughout Scripture that when we w- when we play God, we we really do a crappy job at playing His role. Mm. And I think that is something we always have to keep in our mind. Is I'll, I'll give you a story about my own, you know, in my own life and leadership. And I, I think I referred, I think I referenced this, and I think Saturday, the Saturday's uh, message. I remember years ago when I was a pastor, and I, I you know, I was young, and I, in some sense, my, I would say my heart was in the right place. But I did try to play God with a, a certain individual that I saw as an issue in, in the church that he was preventing a lot of stuff you know, from happening. He, he was extremely prideful and he just – and so I really took it upon myself and I had this mentality, God, I'll help you, I'll help you out. And and I will work it out to where we'll we either jump over him as an obstacle or we'll kind of when I say blow him up as an obstacle, like I'll do some intentional things that will make him mad where he'll you, you know. And really what I did, I was playing God. And one of the lessons that I learned, you know, from my my leadership in that particular instance is that I don't need to help God out. God was perfectly fine when it was just him and he brought the creation into existence out of nothing. He was perfectly fine without me and purchasing my salvation. So so if he's able to bring about, you know, creation and new creation without my help, uh, you know, one particular person that stands in the way of where the church is to where he would want the church to be – don't I think that he could 
make a way for that situation to rectify itself. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And so when I try to play God, it's kind of like what I said with you know Hamilton is that I actually played in a way that that wasn't the Lord's heart. Right. And so now I'm playing God's role, not in God's way. Yeah. And I will say I suffered significantly in that season when I tried to help God out. And so, so that's where I would say that if you're in, if you're in, in a season where you, you are trying to figure out what to do, just, just be very careful not to do God's job for him. Hmm. And again, that doesn't mean to be inactive, but here's how you can, here's one of the ways that you can tell you're trying to play God's role of doing things not God's way. Like I'll give you another example in scripture. So King Saul, one of the biggest reasons why, or let's put it this way, the biggest reason why God snatched the kingdom out of Saul's hands is because he tried to play God, but not in God's way. Mm. Meaning, so he's waiting on Samuel, so he's ready to go to war, but he knows the sacrifice needs to happen. Just so so uh, that you know they that they perform the sacrifice in in a, a manner that would be pleasing to the Lord to have the Lord's blessing and presence and provision and protection on them as they go to war. Well, so he has to wait for the the priest to to get there. So he's got to wait for Samuel to get there. Well, Samuel got caught in traffic. We don't 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 know what happened to Samuel, but he's delayed in coming. Yeah. And so Saul gets a little antsy, and he's like, "Well, I'll just go and do it." Mm. And so he performs the sacrifice. So again, by by doing things his way, not God's way, he ends up playing God's role. You see what yeah. you, you, you yeah, yeah, so yeah. so that again, that's what Adam and Eve did. And it never they, ends. Well. It never ends well. So that's where I'm saying, like, if you're in a season of your life right now where you're trying to discern what you need to do. You, you know what, what? All you need to consult with the Lord. Hmm. Lord, how would you go about doing this? How would you go about handling this? And listen to Him. Search His Word, because when you do things God's way, you're saying, "I'm not God; you are." Hmm. And so, what you'll see though with, with these with these uh, ten commandments is that 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 some of them are the, the the kind of the same coin but two different sides. So, like, don't play God, and then you know you kind of look at the you know number even ten. Make sure you're playing the right game, yeah. Because playing the wrong game the right way may win you battles. Like, yeah. but but I've wanted to you know I wanted to specify some different things because there are different ways of looking at. Really, this overarching principle mm-hmm. of man, you go down the wide road, promise you it leads to destruction. Yep. Go down the narrow road, yep. leads to life. And so you're really picking apart that principle mm. and you're showing it in these 10 different ways that many of them are connected to one another. Mm. Yeah, that's wonderful. So let's do this. Let's do one more. Okay. Uh, we've got to talk about number nine because this is your favorite. <laughs> Uh, don't play the world's game in a Christian way. You'll most certainly lose. Uh, can you talk about why this one's your favorite? 
Because I feel like it happens the most. <laughs> I re- like I really do. So I I almost asked you, you know, which one do you think is is most uh, prevalent for um, the North American church? And as I was re-listening, I go, oh, it's this one, and this is why it's your favorite. I, and I yeah. spent the longest time on it. You did, yeah. It's Be- because we've got a lot of stuff in that one. We could. Well, we could yeah. Do a whole I mean, we, for that. we did. I mean, just think about it. Like, so take a card game. Take like Skip Bow. Okay. All right. So yeah. I don't know if you ever have you ever played or Phase Ten, Skip Bow, sure. Phase Ten. Yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah. All right. Um. So if I'm playing Skip Bow or Phase Ten, but I'm trying to play Rook while I'm playing Skip Bow or Phase Ten, I'm gonna lose. Yeah. I'm gonna lose. Yeah. Because I'm I, I'm playing hmm. I'm playing in the wrong way. Hmm. And, and so you know, and and that's just where like. It, the world does not set the game we're supposed to play as Christians. Yeah. God sets the game and we play in God's way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that is a, that is what is supposed to make us distinct in the world. But if we try to play the world's game in a Christian way, we still aren't distinct. We may think that we're being distinct, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but we're not distinct. Like I'll give you for instance. Yeah. Israel, God's going to give them a promised land. He's going to give them 10 big commandments to live by. And when you break down the 10 commandments in Exodus 20, the first half is a vertical relationship with them and the Lord. Mm -hmm. And the latter half is a horizontal relationship between them and others. Mm -hmm. And then when you look at the over 600 other commands, that will cover their civil laws and their ceremonial laws, which are meant to make them distinct in the world. Okay, so they can. I mean, when you look at it, they they can even be offering sacrifices, but when they are offering sacrifices both to Yahweh and Dagon or Yahweh and Baal, they they might be trying to play the the Israelite Christian way, but they're doing so in, in, in the world's game, because they have now brought about some other gods that they're trying to worship. Mm. You, you know, And so when that happened, and we saw this in Deuteronomy chapter 30, when you choose to play the world's game, even if you're trying to attempt to play it in a Christian godly way, you're going to lose. Mm. And I truly believe with all of my heart, the church in North America is losing because they're playing the world's game and they're trying to do it in a Christian way because they're trying to have the best of both worlds. And when you try to have the best of both worlds, you lose both worlds. So that's interesting because I think you would you would consider, you know, hey, I'm I'm trying to do this, right? I'm trying to 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 be salt and light and I'm trying to reach a lost world. Um you know, we might even consider our motives to be pure, but what you're saying is it's not that our motives are pure. It's actually that we're wanting to play both. You know, we're Here's wanting the thing. to straddle. We're wanting to serve two gods. You and, – and this is why I think it's so, 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 so important. The, the purity of your motives can only be measured – by the obedience 
to God's word. Hmm. So you might say, oh, I'm just trying, you know, I'm just, I have a pure heart. I, I really mean well. Here's the thing, going back to my example that I, I, I told on myself, yeah. like I felt like I, I, had, I had, my heart was in the right place. No, it wasn't. And the reason why I knew, I know now my heart yeah. wasn't in the right place because I did things wrong. Only a heart that is in the right place actually does what is right. Mm. So, you know, we might have all of the purity of motives for whatever it is. But the only way you can tell whether or not your motives are truly pure is if you truly have right behaviors. Mm. Wrong behaviors flow from a wrong positioned heart. Mm. Right behaviors flow from a right positioned heart. And that's where I feel like this this whole idea where the where the church today in many occasions are trying to straddle the fence on 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 beliefs yeah. on, on their own personal life where they're trying to have the best of of the world and the best of God. I'm telling you, and they can try to you know they they can say that they're they're, they're they mean well, but only the the outcome will determine if really you really meant well. Mm. And really, I think so much of that comes down to um, us acting like we need to defend God. And well, and I would say this: really, I would I would say it this way: is that when we say we really meant well, that is that is a an attempt to defend our own self, as opposed to a hu- humility. Yeah. In our life to say we blew it, mm. you know, because when I look back and go, you know, I really meant well. No, no, actually, my heart, my heart is as as the Old Testament writer would put it: your heart is wickedly deceitful. Mm. So you might thought you, you might you might think you mean well, or you might have thought you meant well, but only your outcome will actually determine whether or not you really meant well. Mm. Because again, if your outcome is not pleasing to the Lord. There was something wrong with the origin of that behavior. Hmm. And see, and that's where I feel like we have gotten here with a really poor witness Hmm. in America, and you could say, oh, we really meant well. No, you you might have thought you did, but if you really did mean well in trying to honor the Lord, you would have honored the Lord. So, so that's part of why, and this may be even just a good way to just say that's why we here at Northland every year we've set aside a night of confession and lament to just remind us how fallen and broken and sinful we are and how good and gracious and merciful God is and how we are extremely dependent upon him because we're not as good as we think, which is why we needed a savior. And so that's why, so you know, again, it is my favorite one. But there's, I mean, again, that's why I have to, even as the pastor, like just because I'm the senior pastor, and just because I I got three letters after my name, and just because I have all of the experience of of pastoring, just because I really do love the Lord. I mean, again, take David; he was a man after God's own heart. He failed miserably. Yeah, failed miserably, but. Did he really want to be a, a good, wise king? Yeah, but he failed miserably. Yeah. So he he meant well, but there were a lot of things in his life didn't pan out well. Hmm. 
And so, and this is what's so interesting too, when you think about the, the gospel, is that when we mean well and we do well, we still might suffer greatly. And so that's why we can't look at the outcome of suffering mm. to determine whether or not we meant well or did well. Mm. Because Jesus, he meant well, did well, because he was fully God, fully man, and he still died on the cross. Mm. Because he was subjected to a dark, depraved world. And so so that's why it's so, yeah. Um, I I don't even know what the question was. I mean, this is part of the extra takes. I just I'm I'm opining on on these things, but that that was my goal. Was yeah. uh, you know, my, the question was why is this one your favorite? And my yeah. my goal was just to get you talking about this one. Because... Well, yeah. Well, think about what. So think about what we lose, though. So when we again, when we try to play the world's game in a Christian way, like I, I'll, I'll go a little bit deeper in. Uh, all right, so Matthew. 13, it is the parable of the sower. And when you look at that parable, you have some seed that that fell on the pathway. And what happened? The birds came and snatched it up. So so Satan will just snatch it. Mm -hmm. There's some that fall on this rocky soil and it sprouts up, but it's choked out by the the weeds. Now, what we see when Jesus is explaining that, he says, as for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. Mm-hmm. So, so here what we have is that and to to make some application to this particular point is that you have faith until you go through a season of of loss and suffering and you lose that faith because you don't have your faith anchored into a solid foundation. And so therefore, you're just like the world when it comes to how the world deals with pain and suffering and loss. Mm. So you then play the world suffering game, but you're trying to do it with 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 your Christian way and you end up losing your faith. Mm. Because again, you had a faith, but you approach pain and suffering through the through the eyes and the game of the world and it ends up you end up losing your faith. Again, this is what it's what Jesus is painting right here. And then he's, he says, as for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. Mm-hmm. All right, so now you have this faith. It is sprung up, but what we see, there's no root there. There's no root system that really goes down to the nutrients of the gospel and so now you begin to play the world's game of prosperity and success. And because you're pursuing the world's game, but you're trying to do it with a Christian faith, the world is bound to win out and it sucks life. And so, uh, and uh, when am I? Oh, yeah. So I'm actually going to preach on I was like, when am I, I going to do this? So I'm actually going to preach on Matthew 13 for the launch okay. of our Iron Faith series. Okay. This fall. This fall, so in August, we'll launch this. And what's so fascinating about Matthew 13, only one seed is saved. Hmm. The one who endures. 
See, because when you play the world's game in a Christian way, so here's what I'm saying. So let me just really like, there are a lot of Christians who think they're saved that they're not saved. Because you cannot serve two masters. God will not be mocked. Mm. And God will share his glory with no one. Now, again, I'm not saying, please hear me. I'm not saying that God calls us to perfection. But if you're trying to straddle both worlds on a consistent, continual basis, that you want the blessings of God and the blessings of the world, you really will get neither. Hmm. Which is why some of the most depressed, some of the most offended, Hmm. some of the most angry People on planet Earth are what I would call church people Mm. because they have one foot Mm. in the realm of God and one foot in the realm of the world, and they're torn. Mm. And what James tells us is a double-minded man is what in all of his ways? unstable. Mm. Wow. So when you look at the church today in many cases it is unsta- uh, unstable. Because many Christians are trying to live in two worlds. I know that's heavy. Wow. That's oof. So we have something to look forward to in August for Iron Faith. Yep. Um yeah, I think that's a good place for us to Wrap it up, huh? <laughs> Wrap it up. So, you want to you want to end on a good note? <laughs> I, I do. I want to hear some final <laughs> final words, final thoughts on Hamilton in general. Yeah. Um, what are some things maybe you uh, you learned, or some things that you're going to take away? You know, a year from now, you look back. Uh, you're you're preparing for the next one next yep. year. You look back. What are some things you uh, you learned? Well, here's what I maybe not learned, but here's what I'd say. Okay. You can email me at Pastor Josh at northlandchurch.net and start giving me ideas for 2024 of a cultural engagement series that you would like. Like a couple of, you know, uh, like one thought that I've had is the the metaverse. There's a lot of movies. There's also even uh, a few TV series that actually talk about the metaverse. And so maybe looking at that, I've also have thought about, you know, I, there, there's one particular TV series out there that I really would like to do something on, but but I, you know, I, I don't know if I'm brave enough yet. Don't know if I'm brave enough yet. Okay. But, but this is why I want to push the envelope. I really do. I want to yeah. push the envelope here because part of this series is for us to not only understand what's out there, yeah. But to use what is out there to make connections to the gospel and to help people who are far from the Lord, who love these, who think it's the greatest on the series or movie or idea, to use the things that they love as a platform to tell them about Jesus. Mm. So just like... 
Paul did in Acts 17. I mean that mm-hmm. he is he is my my go-to guy for this is that he observed all of the Athenian culture. Mm-hmm. He saw that they were very religious because again, if you look at the the things that our world produce in an arts and entertainment way, it is a cultural anthropology, meaning they're telling us the theology of what they think about humanity. Yeah. So songs, musicals, TV series, movies, all of that. It's telling you, or it's telling you what they long for. And so that's where I'm like, I, I, I like to push the envelope because part of the series is to reach people far, far, far from Jesus, where you can share it. And so anyways, so email me at pastorjosh at northlandchurch.net, and I'll go ahead and start thinking about what we do in 2024 for our A&E series. And so, well, Northland family and friends, we are grateful for you. Thank you so much for tuning in every week for our Extra Takes podcast. We love you. Blessings. Thanks for listening to Extra Takes. Be sure to follow us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts so you won't miss a single episode.